Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of History Unloaded with Ashley and Danny. This week, we're going to be talking about chunky revolvers. <laughs> Don't body shame them. <laughs> it's clunky. Nope, it's chunky. Oh, I needed that this morning. Oh well, it also goes to show that Danny's preparation means he like kind of skimmed it. That's so like when you like are trying to like read a bunch of stuff in like a short period of time and you skim it and you think that you understand what's happening, but you don't. So I mean, I I like I I think chunky is appropriate, but officially the show notes were for clunky. Yeah. So what we were thinking we would do is talk about um, some guns that almost like they're like legendary in the collector world. But they were like kind of a bad idea. Yeah. And I mean, that that happens a lot with guns, right? They become not a great idea and then they become rare and then they become really interesting to collectors who then talk up their virtues like they were actually really useful, even though they weren't successful at all. Or yeah. only moderately so. So I just wrote an article. So I guess let's start with um, that one, just because I have a bunch of you know notes about it. But that's you know one of people's personal favorites is if you're a civil war, if you have civil war as your area of interest. I almost said civil war fan, and I'm like I really shouldn't talk like that. Um, but is the Lamac grape shot revolver? Which I have a question. Immediate immediate question. Immediately Was... no. Immediately no. <laughs> immediate. I... I have seen what I need to see. Um, <laughs> where did it pick up the name Grape Shot? I feel like that's not a period thing. Um, I don't. I don't think so. But but everybody people, uses it. You know, I wonder if it was um, like the way that the like reproduction companies marketed it. I feel like it it's is kind of like the Remington. They call it the Remington Model 1858. You know, but right. that wasn't the name of it. Right. And. Grape shot's not really an accurate description of what it's doing, anyways. Yeah. Um, so, okay, whatever. The Lamat revolver. And so the Lamat revolver, there was like several configurations of it, but it was developed by a guy named, and I'm gonna butcher his name real quick, Jean Alexandre. I don't know why I made a Frenchman sound like I rolled my I, R. Keep going, keep going. Jean Alexandre Lamat. Uh, so he was a Frenchman living in New Orleans, and I don't know, he just he just got this idea to build a revolver. And one thing to like make note of here is the fact that like um, in the 1830s, that's when Sam Colt takes out his patent. And because of that, like revolvers, you know, he kind of owns the right to the revolver market. And so then, you know, in the 1850s, when that's expiring, that's when you start to really see creep into that market from other companies. And like, I think we've talked about before with patent history, which is like my favorite, um, is that you get some really weird stuff when you're trying to make something new. So like, to me, the Lamat is a continuation of a long tradition of two things. One, creating a weird repeater and two, combining two types of weaponry into one. So like a lot of times you see like pistol daggers or whatever. But then like if you look at like the drilling shotguns, I mean, there's a double barrel shotgun with a rifle barrel underneath. So the Lamat is like the op opposite of that. So you've got a nine shot cylinder, which I still think is really weird. Um, right. And I think believe it was 46 caliber um 42 or 46 caliber initially um 
42, sorry. And then all, I'm going to be honest, like the shotgun barrel, it's underneath. I have seen so many like variations from 16 gauge to 18 gauge to 20 gauge. And like, I feel like there's no online consensus. So like I went off of what Ian said, um, which was he just uses 0.63 because that's the actual measurement of it, which is about a 20 gauge. But like, I've seen it so many different ways. I don't know, right. Danny, do you have an opinion on like which one it is? Because Well, yeah, I think the actual measurement is 0.63 for almost all of them. But like, <laughs> I think the, the baby, the baby Lamat is smaller. Yeah, that might be true. I feel like we've fallen into um, <clears throat> like on our, because we have several Lamats in the collection. And I feel like those are ones that because it got so reported as all these different gauges of like 14 and 16 and 20 and all sorts of stuff that like our actual, if I went and pulled the catalog records that we would probably only a few of them would actually say 0.63 and several of them would be like the weird assortment of gauges that are not accurate, which is how, is how pervasive that idea became. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. But like when I was writing my article, I was so frustrated because I was just like, <laughs> yeah, it's really, it is really annoying. Like anytime you look up the mat, the Lamat, there's like 10 different answers on what the actual chambering was for the shotgun barrel. Yeah. And so with the Lamat, it also, like I said, it's that kind of combination weapon. Um, but as all pretty much all combination weapons have shown throughout history is that like when you try to do too much, the like technology in general suffers um he did make um i guess what was a more successful later version which was a pin fire um but there were i don't know there were like four or five and the lament wasn't like overly successful during the civil war um initially he wanted to you know get it as a gun for the union for the u.s army with um somebody beauregard and somebody beauregard and he was a general and um who was his wife's cousin or some shit like that and or uncle maybe i don't know um but yeah so like but that officer who was like well respected within the u.s army ultimately switched to the confederacy so it became a confederacy gun and you know they ordered you know thousands of them but they weren't able to really deliver and there were like all of these stories about like you know interceptions of shipments and whatnot and having to go overseas for production because as many people who are familiar with the civil war know the south really their manufacturing capabilities were quite not great would you possibly be talking about pierre gustave Toutant beauregard I am actually. I I always have to say his PGG. name. PGT Beauregard. Wait, yeah, PGT. <laughs> One of the best names of the Civil War. That is very true. Um, so yeah, so this Lamat is like my understanding from reports is that it really wasn't great. It was powerful for sure. Um, I mean, what isn't powerful when you have a shotgun barrel coming out of a handgun? But that feels inaccurate. And well, so and the other thing, like. I feel the thing that people always skip over with the Lamat, and we kind of did it here, is it's also a nine-shot 42 caliber with, you know, the Colt Navy is very popular in the Civil War, and that's a six-shot uh, 36. I mean, for the record, I did say nine-shot. You, you did say it. You did acknowledge it. but I, I just feel didn't like... acknowledge that that's really pretty big for... He wanted it for the Dragoons, so that right. probably inspired the size um, of it. But then it was ultimately used a lot by the cavalry. Um, and But 
like for many, many reasons, he couldn't get a lot of them out. People didn't really like them. And so they became a piece of history that, you know, interestingly enough, uh, is so rare that people love it now. But when you think about it, like, are you holstering that thing? Like, could you imagine the holster? Yeah, they're very heavy gun. They're like, they're super heavy. They're real chunky. Um, They they're not they're not chunky. Yeah, I, I'm just going to use a different word every time now. Um, they're they're. Are you going to use chubby? <laughs> maybe we'll and see. Then, we'll wait, see let me where just this goes. The background. The background behind that is that the curator of Colonial Williamsburg wrote a book on flintlocks, um, and he used many different phrases to refer to cocks, and that was one of them. <laughs> Substantial. And, and understand it's... that he knew exactly what he was doing. We. <laughs> The secret is we all, we all, we all attempt it. Um, we haven't even talked about the Lamac carbine, which is even less common, but they made some carbines too, well, that is which serious. I feel like would have been a lot chunky revolver. Effective. No, I said it. There. Yes. <laughs> um, when we're talking about clunky handguns. So I oh, guess that's right. if we're talking about clunky handguns, right. like maybe, and we're talking about the Lamac and its size. Should we talk about the Walker? Yeah. Cause we just talked about how like he, he wanted it. Or was inspired by like the Dragoon handguns for oh, Lamat. Not Beauregard, uh, Lamat. Lamat, yeah, Lamat was thinking of like some of the. I do have one more follow up question before we switch to the uh, Walker. Was Lamat, I'm totally blanking on this. There have been combination guns since, but it's really interesting that you mentioned in this like search for the like repeating firearms there were like there was this really long trend of combination guns like sword guns and knife guns and all this sort of thing and i i'm like blanking on what would have been after the lamat is it like one of the most famous actual like combination i mean there's been like a few commercial like 22 410 type things but is it like the most famous like combination gun of all like the sword knife shotgun handgun things maybe i mean like the category of a drilling is pretty popular yeah that's well, true but but you don't have like a name associated with it and i right. do feel like i know what a drilling is because i'm a nerd but like a lot of people don't um now that you said it i'm sure somebody will come up with something else but i think you're right i mean i think it's got to be one of the most famous combination guns yeah um but anyways the walker another chonky handgun chonky chonky cat <laughs> why don't you give a little history on the walker so the Colt Walker is one of the icons of Colt history. So Colt in the 1830s is working on his idea that he claimed he never saw anywhere else. And he had all to himself um, for a revolving handgun. And that turns into the Patterson rifle and the Patterson handgun. Um, They're revolutionary in that they are multi-shot firearms that actually function, but they have their own limitations and drawbacks. Some of the Pattersons make it into the hands of um, actual. You know, there's some military trials with them. Uh, some Texas make it Rangers, down, though, right? Yeah, some make it down to the the key for Colt is not the military trials. Some actually make it to Texas Rangers, and in particular, uh, Captain Samuel Walker, and he sees the potential of the Patterson, but wants to make some changes to make it more robust and useful for troops, for soldiers and those fighting in, you know, frontier conditions. So he and Colt get together and this is 
doing not doing the story actual justice, but they get together and they work on some changes and come up with the, what's now called the Walker, the Colt Walker. And it Texas is Ranger. <laughs> thank you. Um, <laughs> and he and Chuck Norris design a four and a half pound. <laughs> Sorry, that was good. This is a good. You're getting me on this episode. <laughs> Got it. So they design a what is a gun meant not to be worn like we think of most revolvers but this is meant to be carried in saddle holsters in pairs to really up the firepower um and they managed to get a um a contract for uh the dragoons uh uh carry these and they carry they they do carry them in pairs so the guns were four and a half pounds they're 44 caliber they take a huge powder charge um they're the normally quoted standard for what uh walker himself wanted was to be able to kill or disable a horse at 100 yards which thinking about a handgun is a pretty ambitious prospect but they you know just put in a 60 grain powder charge on a 44 caliber bullet and you know it gives a lot of firepower to troops that have been carrying single shot uh pistols and rifles and so huge handguns carried in pairs by the dragoons and they were so heavy that they were worn like the old school saddle holster pistols, like the single shot flintlocks. They were carried in like pommel holsters, which is, I think, really cool, but not commonly thought of today. Well, anyway, we should talk the, about that loading lever, though. Oh, yeah. That was one of the features they adopted is they increased the caliber on the pat from the Patterson's 36 to the 44. Like I said, they increased the weight to make it a little bit more rugged so it could and so that it could handle the powder charge. And the Patterson, you had to essentially take apart to reload the walker added a loading lever so that you could load the cylinder without removing it from the gun, which is obviously a big step forward. And except for the fact that it falls down a bunch. Except for the fact that they didn't put any catch on the loading lever. And because you're shooting 60 grains of black powder at a time, eventually that spring starts to work itself loose and doesn't retain itself like it's supposed to. Yeah. Well, and in addition to the walker, I mean, I was just thinking, like, as you were talking, I was like, pretty much every handgun, like, prior to this time period was, like, like single shot. They, like, single shot flintlocks and percussions are definitely clunky, but that's just, and pepper boxes. <laughs> I didn't even well, think about that one. It's kind of weird because we think of, like, like, a lot of people think of, like, flintlock pistols, like, single shot pistols. And there's some that are made small, like, they made small ones. But the, the one that most people think of are like the dueling size pistols. And those are those are large things. They're not small by any means. Like they're I'm, they're almost all longer than a walker would be. Yeah, that's very true. And pepper boxes, though, that like like that just popped into my head, like like not the sharps pepper box, which is a four barrel, but mm -hmm. like the Allen and Thurber ones that like are six barrels. So like imagine like you have your cylinder, but like. It's the entire barrel. Right. And now you have the weight of six barrels hanging off, like trying to holster. And that. it stands out, you know, right. it's certainly not, you know, I guess you could conceal them if you wanted to, but because they made wore, a full size more, more clothes. Yeah. People, wore more, <laughs> people had a lot more clothing back then. Um, but they, the Allen and Thurber made a Dragoon size and those things are really big. Like, cause it's like, I, I forget the caliber on them, but they made them, they were using that Dragoon sort of like name to build on the idea of like the large frame Colts that, and other guns that were coming out, which, yeah. you know, a six shot Dragoon gun sounds. Do you, 
Do you have any other American weirdos? <laughs> That's a loaded question. <laughs> <laughs> loaded. Um, other Weird, lar- Did you hear yourself? My loaded joke? Yeah. Did you yeah. do that on purpose? Okay. I did. Thank you for acknowledging it. You're welcome. <laughs> um, other really weird, large, chunky. Are we sticking to 19th century? No, we can we can move on. I mean, a Dardic is pretty chunky. Oh, a Dardic is chunky. Everybody loves like that story, but those are awkward guns. Um. Well, yeah. I mean, imagine. So, for those of you who don't know, it was 1950s, right? The Dardic. I'm blanking on the dates. 50s or 60s. Um, I think it's 50s. I want to say it's like 54, but I could be totes wrong. Um, but the reason that the Dardic pistol is such an awkward uh, size is because it was firing what were called trounds, which was a triangular round. So, like, can you imagine? Can you imagine like putting triangles in you? Well, I guess. Like, are they ultimately better? Are they like, are they stacked like a triangle and then the triangles? So like, they're like, they make a rectangle or a pentagon or something. I feel like that's the idea behind it, but the revolver they ended up with is still really awkwardly sized in my opinion. Oh, sorry. It's, um, they were discontinued in 62. So it was, yeah. It's a little overlap. But yeah, yeah, I think that's like, the idea is that it gets you, it's maybe somewhat easier to arrange when the, but the actual revolvers that they built were not, they're not svelte by any means. Uh, that is very accurate. Well, and like, I feel like there's a lot of weird stuff like that in the post-World War II period with different experimentations. And of course you could also call out any big bore revolver for being chonky, but you know, that's not necessarily something people are carrying for self-defense It's for hunting. Right. So the chonkiness of it is not necessarily you know, needed. Although, I mean, imagine, I mean, I, I've, sh- I've fired multiple line balls. I mean, it's not an easy gun to fire. Like you can do a lot with it, but it's still not very, you know, you have to have the right positioning of your hand and everything to fire it uh, without hitting yourself in the forehead. <laughs> but even the line ball revolvers, like they're not like the revolver, like the Walker is like noticeably, it is just a large thing. Whereas like the, like the line balls, since he's building them off of existing Rugers, they're not actually, I was surprised that they were not as large frame as I thought they would be. Since yeah, he's like, he builds custom cylinders and he gets rid of one. So the cylinder walls are, are thicker. So it's only a five shot, but like I expected those to be a lot larger and they're not nearly as big as I thought they were. Yeah. I think in hindsight, I got distracted by heavy calibers and not chunky. Right. Uh, so one you know of the what? other ones I put in my list. Oh, go ahead. I have a really, this is a pretty deep cut on what is a, oh, it's not a revolver. Are we sticking to revolvers? No, we don't have to. Okay. I mean, I guess the episode was supposed to be chunky revolvers, but you, clunky revolvers, but you ruined that. So do you. (laughs) Chunky handguns. Um, The trapdoor pistols that everybody's made fakes of. Oh, yeah. Those things are ginormous. Like, just think of like, so we already talked about like the flintlock pistols, uh, ye old flintlock pistols, where like pre Colt Walker and Colt Dragoon, a U.S. cavalry soldier might carry a a single shot flintlock. Those are big guns. The trapdoor is like at least a time and a half bigger. It's just they are built off of trapdoor actions, and they're just enormous. They're bigger than a Walker, I think. 
I do not know. They're huge. They're very chunky. They and are they thick. They are they are the one I think we can use thick to describe. Um, then the other one I had in my notes, which I guess is not really like chunky, but I just think it's weird and big, which is the Webley Fosbury. Yeah. Yeah, that one's not nearly as like oversized as some of the other ones, but it is clunky. It is kind of clunky. Well, and- I think it's funny that we're now just talking about like chunky ones when like clunky was the was right. The- yeah, clunky. I've messed this up because I, I by changing the word, I've messed up the whole purpose of the episode because we're th- talking about guns that were like these revolvers awkward that are kind to of carry <laughs> iconic, but are actually just really awkward to carry. And I messed it up by or just talking about heavy guns. right. So let's steer back and you should introduce the Webley Fosbury. Ugh, I don't even remember. Um, I'm going to get a lot of hate for this because the Webley Fosbury is a really cool gun. But the Webley Fosbury is most known for the fact that it is a semi-automatic or as they like to call it, an automatic revolver. But it wasn't automatic. And it was designed by Lieutenant Colonel George Vincent Fosbury. And, you know, obviously it's a Webley, which if you're familiar with any British handguns, I mean, that's probably a name that, you know, and it was patented in 1896 and it went into production in 1901. But the thing about the Webley Fosbury is that it theoretically is a revolver that is a semi-automatic. And it's been a while since I've looked at the actual firing of it, but I think it's got like a zigzag pattern on it. Um, So like when the and the whole thing slides so it's almost like a it's almost like a like the revolver and all that's like a slide so the zigzag is it like you know catches and rotates and then the the force physics words of you know firing it kind of throws it back which causes a zigzag to keep going and and you know recirculate on a revolver which when i think about it like revolvers that you don't have to manually forward are those semi-autos yeah i think I think we only call it a semi-auto revolver because like it, it just looks so much. I mean, it well, because it's the slide's a cylinder. moving. I mean, the everything's moving, right? So right. yeah, parts are the this effectively it has a slide that indexes as a cam, and people are gonna probably think that's too simplistic of an explanation. But um is that the f- yeah, semi-auto I think semi-automatic or self-loading. Self-loading semi-automatic revolver. I don't know what to call this one. This one, they well, they called it an automatic. An automatic revolver. Uh oh, sure. um, self-cocking. Self interesting. I somehow like that term even less. <laughs> uh means so many things. Uh, now thinking about this, like a quote unquote slide, is that like when was the earliest slide? I think it was a browning design, like a slide uh, slide for a semi-auto. Yeah, let's see. What would be the date on Browning slide? 99? So this is 96. Yeah. I'm trying to think. It's not really. It doesn't really count. I mean, theoretically, like, I don't think it counts. So the Webley Fosbury is another example of like this weird niche and where it's generated a ton of collecting and historical interest. But I think going back to the original point of the episode, like I can't imagine it was that good to use and to carry it's because it's or like its manual of operations is so much different from everything. And then it's really quickly eclipsed by like more conventional semi-autos and self-loaders and automatics. Um, we'll just say all we'll just there's the solution to terminology is we just say all the possible words at once. Descriptors. Yep. 
I think that that is definitely how we should handle any gun. Yeah. In so this description. the Webley Fosbury, it, it's quickly eclipsed by all these other better guns. It's kind of clunky in its original iteration, even when it's like fresh on the market. And I can't imagine it was a great thing to use and carry, but it's got all this interest. And now we think of it as like this really cool, awesome thing. And was it, or is it just kind of clunky and relegated to the sidelines? And we happen to think it's cool. I mean, it is, it's to me, it's an interesting part of the transition story to semi-autos, but Mm -hmm. yeah, I think it's, it's not like, it's not like it's a huge gun, but it's just, it's a weird, I feel like, um, I haven't fired one, but Phil Schreier has, um, it just feels like a weird thing. Like the whole thing's weird. Yeah. So what's another clunky, not chunky thing? I don't know. I've been talking a lot. This is your turn. Well, one, this is maybe, this might be too deep of a cut, but a clunky and chunky revolver is, we think of the Germans as really excellent firearms designers these days. They've, they've gotten that imagination around them. Pre like semi-auto handguns, their stuff is really clunky slash chunky slash chonky. And the last revolver that they adopted before they started moving to semi-autos was the Reich's revolver. And that thing is, again, I'm, I keep using the Walker and the Dragoon for scale, but that thing is as large as any of the handguns, save maybe the trapdoor that we've talked about yet. And that thing is just a massive and very awkward handgun. We have one in the collection and the one I've handled is, it just feels way off scale to me. And always like, also, I feel like all of those like handles where it's like curved, it just feels right. like, like it's almost like a flintlock, but like, you know, like it's right, it's it's just not a great way to grip the gun. It doesn't it has, help with the angle of where you're firing. Yeah, it has such an odd, odd grip angle compared to well, and a lot of these guns that we've been talking about do. I guess what we've become used to. Um, it's it's way different, and maybe it fits some people really well. I don't know. I haven't well, actually I mean, shot. Block was the one that created um, the like kind of angled uh, because you know guns were like kind of straight on their grips. I just did you just say Glock? Yeah, I did. No, oh. not Glock. like the Colt angle. No, Are you talking about the more I, modern? It's a specific thing that I'm not like I can't remember what it oh. is. Glock developed some type of thing for the way that like you hold a semi-auto, but whatever. I don't remember. But I know I do know people get really like one side or the other about the Glock grip angle. Like that's a thing. I like the Glock grip angle. So what else fits our criteria that we haven't thought of so far? I don't know. Our made-up criteria that has ever evolved through the episode. That's true. Um, I don't know. A lot I mean, for show. I... A lot for show. A lot for show. Oh yes. Yeah, any any pinfire in general. <laughs> yeah, pinfires are their own class of clunky because they're just the ones that I really, I mean, I say this like we've been dissing on clunky handguns and now I'm about to say I love them, is the like the 20 shot pinfire revolvers that are just like the cylinder is like double wide and just huge and there's like no conceivable way that you could easily carry the thing. But hey, 20 shot pin fires. Why not? More power to you, Lafa Show. Is it Lafa Show or Lafa Show? I, I don't know. I'm, we'd have to ask Ian. He knows. I think we'd have to time travel and ask, ask uh, 
Is it Casimir or Casimir? I think it's Casimir. Well, we'd have to ask him. I don't think we can. <laughs> We've done time travel episodes, though, so maybe. So add that add that note to our add that addendum to our time travel episode. Exactly. Um, actually, I don't know if I want to go to France then. <laughs> was point. it pre or after revolution? It, that was post revolution, but you know, France, 1840s, 1850s. It's probably cool. Maybe it's probably Maybe. stinky. <laughs> well, all of history is a lot stinkier than we assume. I think that is pretty accurate. <laughs> well, I think, you know, we have judged enough revolvers today. I think the real statement is that history is probably kind of clunky. If we traveled back, <laughs> history is chunky. <laughs> chunky. On that note, On that thanks note, for listening. Thanks. Talk to you next week.